0: Hi, this is Jackie Miller, host of Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. I have one of my favorite people back on the show, Dr. Justine Weber, Doctor of Psychology. Dr. Justine joins me to talk about a very sensitive and overlooked form of abuse that happens in abusive marriages, sexual abuse. This is a topic that is often rife with shame for the victim and has a shroud of darkness and secrecy that often lets the perpetrator get away with their horrific behavior. Dr. Justine and I discuss this difficult topic and tell the stories we've encountered in an effort to spread awareness and give victims validation and support. I do caution against possible triggers as you listen, so please take care and thank you for listening. Hello, Dr. Justine Weber. Welcome to Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a
1: narcissist, or I should say welcome back. (laughs) Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me again. I'm very excited. I thought I would tell the audience something that we didn't say. You
0: have been on the show one other time. And Justine and I actually met 20 years ago. And I won't get into all the details, but our husbands were very similar at the time. And and I met your husband first. And that it was funny, right right down to the the companies they had and the names of their companies, which was even similar, which was so odd. But anyway, we met 20 years ago and then sporadically saw each other over the years and then hadn't seen each other all for seven years and then recently reconnected. And so, and it's amazing. So now here you are a doctor of psychology. You also are a certified narcissistic abuse recovery coach. I am a coach in high conflict divorces and, and custody battles. And so it's just so interesting how our paths have kind of merged. Yes. <laughs> Very
1: similar paths. I know it's just, pretty wild how things like that happen in life where, you know, it's like you were meant to reconnect, you know, with this different kind of different version. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's been so great
0: because you are a therapist with the specialties that you do, just helping people recover from narcissistic abuse. Um, You're a trauma-informed practitioner, which is great because I know a lot of people look for that. And so I really find you such a valuable lifeline for me to hotline to pick up and call. And so whenever you and I get on a subject (laughs) and we can talk and talk and talk, And where this is all leading is I'm leading up to this episode, which is the naked truth about sexual abuse in marriage. You and I stumbled on this topic and we both decided we really needed to talk about it with my audience because it does not get discussed enough and there's so much shame around it. And so I really appreciate you coming on to discuss this.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I am. I completely agree. I'm really glad that you- agreed with my perspective. I really have not found too much content out there, YouTube videos or information in general, um, more specifically about this narrow topic, not just coercive control, but the sexual abuse in a narcissistic relationship or marriage. Um, There's just not a lot of information and it's, I, I don't know why. Well, I know why, because it's uncomfortable. There's so much shame. But I don't know why more professionals or coaches or psychologists are not, or podcasts are not openly talking about this. It is so much more common than people would think. There's just so much shame that is intertwined, you know, humiliation, embarrassment. People don't want to talk about it. And I really do understand. I've, I have yet to meet a lady who recognized during the relationship or the marriage that it was abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always after once they've left, you know, maybe they thought it might. They were, you know, they just weren't sure. Um, But it really isn't until after they leave when they start healing and they're disconnected, you know, from the partner when they're able to kind of see things a bit more clearly and kind of unravel of all of this because it is so confusing. I <laughs> We talked about that on the podcast. It's everything is so confusing. Everything is so
0: confusing, and we're go- we're going to talk about some examples on the show today, because as you and I discussed, we think it's important because it's not discussed for any victims of this to connect and and just have that validation of it's not just me. Oh my gosh, this is a thing or that yes, that is happening or did happen and just shed light on it and give this community the validation and support. And so I just kind of want to warn people, not only just about the content of what we might talk about in, in the examples, kind of the trigger warning around it. And, and that's what women that have, have shared stories with me about this, it's it's kind of the trigger. So I just, I just kind of want to give warning about that. And I don't know if you, there's anything else you want to say about the examples.
1: Yeah. So I just wanted to preface, you know, I'm, you know, obviously um, a psychologist and confidentiality is still a hundred percent honored with anybody I've ever worked with. Even if there's aspects where it's like, oh, that sounds similar, it's not. <laughs> I, I yep. assure you. Anyways, uh, confidentiality is absolutely still honored. So yes, yes, to...
0: for, for both of us, extremely number one importance for both of us. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, my last episode, I had Dr. Christine Cociola on talking about coercive control. And one of the things that you and I discussed is the sexual abuse in the relationship or the marriage, how it's, how that's, it's coercive. I want to get your feedback expertise specifically around how perpetrators are using the sexual abuse as coercive control.
1: To kind of break this down um, a bit for your listeners to begin to find truth or clarity in this because it is so confusing. I think it might be a little bit better to kind of peel away and break this down in sections to be able to understand okay, what is this? Why? How can I begin to determine if you're still in the relationship or maybe you've left? What kind of truth can you uh you know, can you find? to begin to uh, piece this together because it is so confusing. So, you know, very generally, you know, coercive control, sexual abuse is anything that is unwanted. Now that is very general and it might seem very simple for people. Well, it's not to be able to answer that if something is unwanted or not. And so I think a way that you can begin to find truth and clarity is begin to break it down with, the abuser. What is their motive, goal? What is their intent with sex? Is it dominating? Is it controlling? Is it manipulating? Um, is it you know about power, um, about validating them? You know, intimidation. You know, what sorts of intent and motive do they have? Then what what types of strategies do they use? You know, because again, unwanted, it's not physical force, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, everything else. And so this is why it's so confusing, why the coercive control is so difficult to really point out because it's not physical force, it's everything else. I do have an example of that
0: where I have heard a couple of times, he was so angry all the time, come home in a rage and, you know, rage at me, rage at the kids. And, and, and I sort of realized like, maybe if I had sex with him, it would calm him down so that he wouldn't be so verbally and, and mentally abusive towards us. And so there you have a situation where he could say, you asked for it. You initiated it. A woman is now in a position where she's having to have sex with somebody who's verbally abusive. No, she doesn't want to. No, no. But she's doing it to try to
1: save herself and her children. Yeah, from yeah. further verbal abuse. So so what you're talking about there is the fawning response. So that's a trauma response. Ah, okay. You know the 4 Fs, fight, flight, freeze and fawn, okay? The fawning response is Peter Walker talks a lot about um you know the fawning response and it's very common in narcissistic relationships and with children. Mm. Children oftentimes take on the role of fawning. Why? Because they want to avoid because they want to, you know, keep the peace. And so for a spouse, it's like, what is your intention? So going back to the original question, it's like, what is your intention? This is where you can find the truth. Like, you know, this is like the cognitive dissonance where you have two completely polar opposite beliefs or ideas like, okay, I don't want to have sex. I I don't really want to, but I initiated, you know, it's like that would leave anybody very confused with ridden with self-doubt and blame and well, which is what they want. That's what they want because that's where their control is. And so the fawning response, it's like, okay, well, this is the people pleaser, you know? And so why are you initiating? Why are you saying yes to avoid Conflict Mm -hmm. to avoid things getting worse? Is it coming from um, fear? Is it coming from, you know, this place of um, just wanting to keep the peace? And if you're not sure, maybe write it down. Sometimes if we just write things down, you know, we're able to kind of find more truth. I love uh, that. In situations where everything is so, so confusing. Great suggestion. And so their strategies a lot of times are like they'll use um, guilt or they'll use threats. None of it's physical, it's all kind of in the gray area. So they'll use threats of like some examples I've heard is if you don't have sex with me, or if you don't do this, I'm going to get it elsewhere. Yes. Or, you know, big one, use, um, you know, intimidation or will shame you. They'll use um, aggression, you know, yes. when you're just so scared.
0: Yes. And in that same thread with the manipulation um, name calling, you're such a prude. Now you are asexual you are you know just being demeaning to your body and 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 who you are mm-hmm. as a woman and no man could live like this every other husband's wife does this xyz yeah exactly
1: so it's you know blaming you devaluing you degrading you know contempt and you know there's more self-doubt blame you know, and then you want to prove, you know, this goes back to the fawning, like, you know, you just want to appease him and keep the peace. And, and by the way, fawn is also this trauma response where we're constantly trying to seek, you know, it's an attachment, you know, response, and we're constantly trying to seek safety and connection. And so this kind of taps into the trauma bonding where it's like, we're social beings, we need to feel safe. We have to feel safe. We're constantly searching it. And so fawning is a is a way to seek safety and to avoid conflict and to try to find connection, even though the one that you're connecting with is not safe. So it's like you want them, but then you don't. You feel like something's off and you know bad, but when you say yes or maybe you initiate. I mean, just all of it is just so um confusing and it's so hard to find truth, but you're right. These strategies, all this manipulation of, you know, and they're, they're so savvy at knowing exactly what to say to you. Oh, yeah to get the response that they want for you to do what they want. So you're right. Just degrading you or nobody would ever want to have sex with you. You know, I can't believe, you know, you gain weight, Mm. you know, you look disgusting. An example of that, you know, they were married for, I don't know, a long time. I think it was maybe about 14 years, 15 years. He never really ever um, performed oral sex. And she had asked a few times and it was just always like, you know, that's gross and all that. So, anyways, apparently it happened two times during the marriage. What did he do? He, you know, she'd lay down on, you know, the bed. He poured Listerine all over her private area. Wow. Uh, you know, of course it was like burning. Yeah. And what did he say? Oh, this is so disgusting. You smell, you know, this is so wow. gross. I can't believe you're making me do this. So, of course, Who in the world would ever ask again, you know, with that sort of just degrading, dehumanizing her, you know, and I was like, wow, how did you feel? You know, of course, when it was happening, she was numb, but you know, when she was able to, and this is why it's so important to find the vocabulary, to give a voice to these experiences that have been so shamed and nobody wants to talk about it. Secrecy and hiding and not talking about something and finding words just fuels more shame and humiliation and right. embarrassment, and keeps us stuck and makes us feel worse like we're not deserving of it. And so yeah. the more we put words and vocabulary to our stories. So you know, we ended up, you know, unpacking this of what how she felt. And this is another way how we can peel away and find truth during relationships like this. How do I feel? Okay. She ended up describing she felt dirty, she felt disgusting, and she said she felt cheap, you know. Yeah. That makes sense to me. It's horrific. Absolutely. Horrific. And because I just her husband, they had children.
0: I mean, it's just disgusting. It is. It is. I mean, how degrading, how demoralizing. Um, I just have the chills from that story. And Thank you for sharing it because people have no idea what goes on in a marriage, right? And you say you've been married the 14, 16 years, like you said, and you've never mentioned any of this to your best friends, to your sisters. Mm -hmm. And now what do you do? And so, uh, you know, I'm just here with you also encouraging women to talk with their therapists, bring up these specific topics. I'm sure you're talking Mm -hmm. with them about a million other things going on in your marriage, but that gets put way deep in the recesses of your mind because it's so hard to deal with. It's so mm. emotional once it tries, once you try to verbalize it. Um, it can also be, you know, a little bit re-traumatizing as you retell the stories, but it's so important to get help and support if this is happening.
1: And, you know, I also want to uh suggest, you know, it's important to talk to people that, you know, you know are going to be understanding and supportive, you know, but anybody who does discuss anything like this, you know, you should never say, why don't you leave? Or why don't you say no? Or why don't you, you know, tell him this, you know, or whatever. No, do not ever say that. That is a terrible thing to ever say to somebody who is in this sort of situation. I mean, it really is more trauma, you know, traumatizing and gaslighting, like putting them to blame. Like, yes it's so easy. Just pack up and leave or just say no if, you know, he's too aggressive or, you know, it's not so easy.
0: No, it's not so easy. So thank you. So if someone comes to you, please be mindful that you don't say any of those things. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, get, get, talk to a professional if you need to. And actually even on that note, I was going to mention it at the end, but I'll mention it now. There is a national sex, sexual assault hotline and it is 1-800-656-H-O-P-E-HOPE. And so, you know, call a hotline, even if you need to talk to somebody who knows exactly what's going on just to start the conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would like to give you, here's the three things to do. If you know, you listen to this podcast and you realize, wow, this, this is sexual abuse. And I've been married for, you know, 18 years now, what step one, this step two, it's just, you know, there's not a one size fits all. And these situations, you know, there's there's a reason why we develop this trauma response of fawning, of saying yes, of being a people pleaser. It's a survival technique. It's a survival. It's fear-based. You know, you're trying to keep the peace out of fear and avoiding of what could happen if yeah. you don't. And so we do it for a reason. It goes back to survival. Yeah. It probably is keeping you safer in that situation. Yeah. And so it's not so easy to say if you're in the marriage and this has been the dynamic of you saying yes or initiating, um, you know, he dominates control, manipulates, you know, degrades you. And then out of nowhere, you start saying no, that could actually put you in a really very dangerous situation. So really, you have to, you know, work with a professional who is knowledgeable about this and you can begin to uh, create your own plan ongoing of what would make sense in a safe in a safe way, you know, um, maybe setting boundaries is not an option. You know, I, I get that what could happen. You know, there was this, this woman, you know, said to me that when she was already, they were separated and he would come over and, um, pick up the kids or drop them off. And he would say, you know, look, if you don't have sex with me, then I'm going to sexually abuse, you know, our daughter. And so this went on with every pickup and drop off where she had to, um, do things. So? I mean, it was just horrific. So again, it's like, it fosters safety, you know, for either you or your children. So saying yes, or initiating or being a pleaser, you're, you're doing it for a reason. At the same time, you know, is it a long term solution? No, but it has to be handled in a really very uh, delicate manner. And it's not a one size fits all every situation is just so different. Absolutely. And again, thank you for sharing that example. It's just
0: like when we hear, you know, when the leaving of an abusive marriage is the most dangerous time. And and that's sort of synonymous with that. It is leave, you're trying to leave this situation that they've set up, that's controlling, that's, you know, abusive and, and you're putting up boundaries and that's escalates often, you know, their behavior. It's very scary sometimes to do that. So yes, come up with a plan, begin to have the discussion Mm -hmm. to see if there's anything you can do, you know, to get out of this situation. surround yourself around,
1: you know, friends and loved one that you trust, that you know are going to believe you and support you and not judge you and really just be there as a support system because that is helpful to kind of begin to uh, build your uh, strength Mm -hmm. and to, you know, find your uh, truth, you know. Again, the more you talk about it, and you know, finding the vocabulary and the words to tell your story, it becomes more. It just makes you feel like you just more of your truth, right? You know. Otherwise, it's like the secrecy and it's hidden and humiliation and you know, fear and it. it it's so hard. It really is. It but is. But I. It's so much more common than people really think. It it's, is.
0: It's so much more common. And another thing I like to encourage people to do is to go ahead and research stuff. Like, you know, the internet is our friend on this and you can find, you know, other stories, other resources um, that not only make you feel not alone in this, but, you know, maybe you could figure out what somebody else did, you know, or maybe you could just find out, you you know, what kind of support systems out there that you didn't realize before. And the reason I mentioned that is because I became, and really how this started is because I I shared a story with you that I became aware of a woman who was in, you know, a marriage that was quite long as well and discovered that her husband had been drugging her and raping her and recording it over the years. And I, I can, I can hardly control my emotion right now. I was so upset for her and, um, so it, it, you know, and she'd been talking about verbal and emotional abuse in her marriage and said, but he never, he's never been physically abusive to me. And on so many levels to have this discovery was just shattering. And so I, I remember I brought up a conversation with you and we just started talking more and more and more, but I got on the internet and started researching it and was shocked at how much it happens. I'm like, this is a thing. So. Again, every situation's so different, and every story is is so gut wrenching. Somebody out there understands though what you're going through. So I'm just mm-hmm. a big advocate of of getting out there and educating yourself and
1: finding support. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I just, I mean, I got chills when you were um, describing it. It's, it, it just, it absolutely just, you know, my heart just aches when I, you know, hear stories from other people. It just makes you connect with them in a really much deeper way. You know, just that vulnerability of this kind of raw truth. It's um, so incredibly frightening and so scary and so sad and devastating. And you're right, the more that we talk about it and, you know, share our experiences, this is really the only way that we'll be able to break through and be vulnerable and, you know, begin to heal you know, and become whole. And this is all, you know, again, with narcissism, they're entitled and controlling and they manipulate and they need constant validation. And, you know, they feel better about themselves when they're, you know, putting somebody else down and contempt. So it makes sense why this would play out in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes, you know, it's like with relationships, how they operate, why would it be different in the bedroom, you know, with a spouse, you know, where they- would be respectful or tell me about your needs or what do you want. So, you know, it makes sense, I guess, logically, why it would play out, you know, all the time or the majority of the time, where there's no give and take, you know, there's no, you know, it's just all about them and this dominance and manipulating control and validation contempt, treating you like you were less than, like your needs don't matter. I mean, you essentially yeah. don't have any needs. I mean, that's the fawning. This woman I'm worked with, she, she was married for a really long time as well. And her husband was uh, really into um, whipping her. And so he would use, you know, things like, like whips, belts, you know, hairbrushes, and he would whip her all over to the point where she would have um, marks and bruises on her. And he would actually that's actually what would turn him on i mean this is like the marks on her because you know then it's about oh i own you you know you are mine and again she would apparently um ask for it you know at times and so talk about the confusion and the cognitive dissonance and the fawning where it's like okay no i don't like it this is terrible who would ever want to sign up for this. And at the same time, I'm asking or initiating, you know? And so this is just, you know, at the core, so complicated, so mm-hmm. complicated, mm-hmm. you know, these two beliefs of no, I don't want this. And at the same time, I'm saying yes you know he would kind of use this like oh i know you wanted this you asked for this or it would kind of turn into this role play maybe you know the next day or something he would see her bruises and it would you know make some kind of degrading intimidation kind of like remarks like oh you want more of that i know you want that you know and and so it's like it's just so it's just so sad you know what it these is. women have to go through and do you think these men are the ones who have any guilt or no. sadness or right. regret or remorse right. or anything, or even accountability. Of course right. not. Right. That's why this, these relationships are so, when you've left and you start unpacking all of this and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what this was. And you have to heal and make sense of that and push through your, you know, shame on your own with professionals, hopefully. Yeah. You're never going to get that phone call or accountability from the abuser ever. No. This is another thing that is um quite common is um STDs. So this is another sign of, you know, a lot of narcissists cheat. Yeah. So they have sex with women, they come home, they give something to their wife. Um, the wife goes to the husband, Hey, I have chlamydia, herpes. What happens? It's herpes. You fault. were cheating. What have it. you been up to? Yep. I know exactly you're the answer to that. And, you know, like where I haven't done anything, like, you know, it, it just I uh, blame it on her. It's yep. her. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have any symptoms. I have never had sex with anybody. You're an alcoholic and you get drunk all the time when you're at bars. So you must have gone in the bathroom and, you know, had sex, like, who like, I can't believe this. You're cheating on me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, where you're just it's sitting there. And just like that, just like that,
0: a cheating husband who there's very specific proof of now you've got an STD, you are now explaining, um, 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 no, I didn't, you're, you're, you're defending yourself. They turn it around like that to where you're trying to convince them it wasn't you. And they have in one fail swoop turned the whole conversation into you defending yourself. When they've, you know, so blatantly wrong, which, you know, and we can apply that. They use that model in so many other situations, and in, in usually in relationships or mm-hmm. marriage as well. But yes, with the sexual abuse, absolutely. And it, I knew the answer to that right away. Uh, it, it, yes, it's your fault. You're out there doing something wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. And and back to the horrible story of um, the woman that you were aware of that went through with the whipping. I know it's it's they're so manipulative too, and that they will gradually get their victims to that point to where the victim's like, how did I end up here? And, and again, back with the insults and and the coercive control, it's we're married. We need to spice things up. It kind of starts that way. And then why wouldn't you just at least try it? And then you're thinking in your head, if I'm a good wife, I guess I would just at least try it. And we have been married for, you know, a few years, I guess maybe we should try some new things. And then next thing, you know, it's this, and then they're introducing this and then they're introducing that. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, How did I end up here? I don't like this. And now I'm in a position where I can't say no, like you said. And so Mm -hmm. I also just want to acknowledge the insidious slow progression that they will often use to push boundaries, push boundaries, push boundaries, Mm -hmm. and
1: use all these reasons and excuses why you're a bad person if you don't. No, it, it, there's so many parallels with the relationship, the narcissistic um, cycle of the love bombing, you know, then the, you know, the devaluing, then the discard, this is like when they maybe cheat or, you know, find a girlfriend and so forth. And that plays out as well in the bedroom with the same tactics, the same motives you know, the same response. And so at the beginning, it's probably like wonderful. I mean, I've heard of a lot of stories how the beginning of, uh, you know, courtship of a relationship was, you know, they were going on trips, having amazing sex. You know, again, these people are very savvy at knowing how to hook you knowing exactly what to say and do at the beginning stage. Everything is just showering you with amazing sex, pleasurable, you know, maybe it's all about you. And you think you've just met your Prince Charming. Oh my gosh, he's successful and he's brilliant and amazing in the bedroom. Like, you know, you've gotten a 10 and then slowly it's like, are you wearing that? You know, it looks like you've kind of gained a little bit of weight. Yep. Other women I've, you know, had sex with, like, you know, they did this to me and it, it just really, you know, really turned me on and, yes. you know, I want to be with you and I just, but, you know, I really want to do this. And so it's just very like subtle, slowly pushing the boundaries of like, it develops and kind of switches to, you know, this is like funny, you want to please them, yep. you know, you want to validate them. You want to, you're trying to find safety, you know, connection, And so it ends up all being about them. You literally give up Mm. your needs. You know, again, it's a survival. Why would you keep asking something or wanting something if it's never met? I mean, eventually you just stop doing it because it's never, you know, babies do that, you know, the whole crying out method, you know, yeah. eventually if the mom doesn't come back to them and pick them up, they'll eventually just begin to soothe themselves, you mm-hmm. know, because somebody else, a caregiver is not going to be there to, you know, to soothe them. And so you just stop asking. So you literally give up your needs and, you know, you kind of break down your identity and you really lose perspective of like what you actually really do like, or want, or what pleasures you, or, you know, it just all becomes appeasing them. Right. All about them. It just puts
0: an exclamation point on it. That's exactly what it is. And speaking of, you know, that being a sign of, you know, course of control and sexual abuse, um, I wanted to talk about a few others. For instance, you, if you only agree because you're afraid, and afraid could be of many different things. If he refuses to practice safe sex, now that's not using a condom, obviously. Uh, It is when it is being forced to do degrading unwanted, unsafe sex. And and Mm -hmm. that is what that is referring to. I've also heard of situations where they get a woman pregnant right away and mm-hmm. to to keep her in the relationship and yep. so just having sex strictly to trap you or or force on the other hand forcing like an abortion you know and yes. and so putting putting you through that trauma intentionally mm-hmm. and then there's the withholding sex as punishment mm-hmm. That's also an example because you're Mm -hmm. craving attention and affection and a connection with this person who's probably Mm love bomb you. And now you're in the devalue stage and you're, Mm -hmm. they're pulling you off the pedestal and now they withhold. I'm sure you've heard that.
1: That's the control uh, piece of it. You know, it's like, you're not really wanting it, but then they're taking it away, you know, or if you don't, have sex with them, giving you the silent treatment and punishing you in that way. Or if you don't do certain things sexually, it's like, you know, out of fear, avoiding conflict of what could happen, you know, the next day it's like, okay, it's just going to be easier to do this and get it over with to at least have a peaceful day, or at least hope to have a peaceful day or not have the silent treatment. But it's all the control manipulation. They're trying to dictate your behavior and actions without physical force. It's everything else. And I have just noticed that this is far more debilitating and damaging and difficult to clarify because yeah. it's not physical. And so it's manipulation, the control, the you know, silent treatment, it just immediately puts you in this place of like, I'm bad. Yeah. I did something bad. The thing about silent treatment that um because I have heard that a lot from women. And the thing about silent treatment is I really think that most narcissists probably have absolutely no idea why they're giving you the silent treatment. It's just like this like way to just kind of this contempt, you know, you're less than I'm just going to ignore you. I mean, that's one of the worst experiences as a human being is to feel like you actually are not even visible or matter, or, you know, you're just invisible. I can't even speak to you. You know, because it it it's very common, not just with coercive control, sexual abuse, but during the relationship of just yes. you didn't do something or whatever. And you know, I would imagine if you went back, why are you ignoring me? They probably wouldn't even know. It's just right. Couldn't give you a specific example, but they know inherently. You're like
0: you said that there. It is the the overall umbrella purpose is just to degrade you, demean you, make you feel like you're nothing. You're not even worth mm-hmm. um, a conversation. And so. I completely agree with that. And silent treatment is also just, it, it's such a powerful way to control. And it doesn't sound like it would be, but it is an extremely powerful way to control. This is so interesting as well, because I have heard, gosh, this goes back to you saying how confusing it can be like you say yes, but then it's something you don't want to do or you you can not even ask for it. I'm also aware of a woman that was in a situation and I've heard this actually multiple times, a similar stories, where he will take Viagra and so initially sex is consensual and then have sex for hours and it actually becomes where they'll say I'm done or no, it turns into rape mid mid act because it started out consensual and now they're either physically doing things to you that you don't want or and sometimes even say no to or It's also a way to control and sexually assault you is to continue the sex for extremely long periods of time or do things during the act, even though it started out consensual that you do not consent Mm -hmm. to. And there you have consensual sex. Turn to rape midstream
1: absolutely absolutely that's a really really good point of how you know it's like the what is the intention and and you know I'm gonna back up too again even at the beginning you know it's like is it consensual just because you're saying yes what is the what is the motive for you saying yes? You know, are you trying to avoid? Are you trying to, you know, um, appease him? Is it out of fear? Is it out of, you know, intimidation? What is his motive for for wanting sex? Dominating. I mean, that's a perfect example of domination, controlling, invalidating. You're just basically essentially there just to appease him and you can't do anything about right. it. And then if you did say, Hey, stop, I'm, I'm done. I've had enough. This is, you know, painful, you know, whatever, then it's going to be, Oh, you, you always do this. You know, we never have sex calling you names, you know, being critical, degrading your body. You know, it's like, they just want to control everything about you for their own power control image you're right. I mean, it can be so confusing where you're like, that's the cognitive dissonance and you know, like the fawning piece where you're like, okay, well, I did say yes. Or maybe you initiated at first, right? Even more confusing because you're like, okay, I, I don't really want this, but I did initiate it. You know, that's, those are two very conflicting beliefs or thoughts or, you know, or values. The other thing I wanted to say is, you know, a way to again going going back to like initially, you know, the you know, the conversation, how can I kind of peel away and try to find truth with these, you know, experiences when everything is so confusing during this abuse. So his motive and intent and goal. But then also, how do you feel beforehand and after? Mm. Are you, you know, just kind of like check in with yourself. And sometimes this is why journaling is so important or writing things down. Because when we just have this thought, like, how do I feel? We don't know. Sometimes, you know, especially if there's disconnection, you know, you're kind of numb, there's denial. We don't really know oftentimes. But so try to begin to create thoughts with experiences. Are you, are you dreading having sex? Are you dreading this trip? You know, are you wanting it to be over? Are you beginning to get anxious about it? You know, fear of like, oh my gosh, you know, when going on this trip, he's going to be wanting to have sex all the time. And, you know, when he drinks or, you know, does drugs, he, oh, maybe it talks about other women or something, you know, bringing somebody else in. That's another, you know, piece of it too, of, yeah. you know, oh, want this, you like women, you know, it's really going to turn me on, you know, seeing you with, you know, somebody else just really turns me on, you know, you're my wife, we've been married for 20 years. This is what people do. Why are you so insecure, about yourself? Why can't you just be more confident and secure in yourself by doing this and bringing somebody else in? You know? And so it's like this, you're like, oh yeah, it's this vacation, but then you're like, okay, well, I know where this could lead and I don't know how bad it's going to get. And so it's kind of mixed with like dread, fear, anxiety. You just want it to be over.
0: Yeah. So yeah. even
1: if you're not able to identify the you know emotional piece, that's okay. What are your thoughts? If you were yep. to like talk to a friend, hey, I have this trip, coming up i'm dreading this i just want this to be over Ugh. like that's important information to pay attention to like okay i'm i'm dreading this healthy relationships it should not feel like dread it yeah. should not feel like fear or you know anxiety and Again, going back to, okay, what is the motive, the intent of your partner? It should be really about connection. It yep. should be about really being vulnerable together and, you know, bringing you closer together. The whole dynamic, the whole foundation looks different on both ends and then together too. The motives, intentions, how you feel how he feels what's what's the result you know i would imagine in the coercive control abusive relationships you're probably feeling really bad you know oh. or maybe a little bit angry at the person maybe a mixture of disgust and anger or rage mixed with self doubt Mixed with confusion, mixed with, oh, why don't I leave? No, I deserve better.
0: Oh my gosh. What you just said, I have to tell you, I was speaking with a group of women. And one thing I love to do is say, what does good look like? Because we also talk about too, like, is there hope in the future of a healthy relationship of a real love of a, you know, after you've been through relationship, you know, an abusive relationship. And so I had a woman say, you know, I have a great example of what good looks like. Cause luckily I got to live it in her marriage. They there again, there'd be a weekend where they're going to go away and there was sexual abuse happening. And they'd be packing, and she wanted to be excited. You know, she really wanted to, and her mind, to like be excited that they were going to a really cool hotel for the weekend. She muster up and really say, like, you know, you know, be a good wife, be excited, you're going away with your husband. And she'd be mid-packing and she'd come back to her suitcase and there'd be all these toys laying on top of her suitcase that she didn't mm. pack. And it was her signal, this is what you're doing this weekend. And she said her heart would just drop. And the whole trip, she was absolutely just trying not mm. to even throw up because she knew what was in store for her. So what she would do to cope is the second they got to the hotel room, she would she would initiate it and just and so take it over with. And she would just be like, okay, this is what I'm in for. I I, I have no way out. And so she's the one that would get it all out and go, let's go and get it over with. And she said, you know what good looks like? My partner, of course, doesn't do anything like that now. Everything's loving. Everything's consensual. Everything's about connection, like you said. And she said, it took me a really long time. But now once in a while I might grab a toy when we go away for the weekend and he's like, oh, okay, awesome. What do you want to do? You know, and and right. when we talk about it and and it's it's fun. And is this okay? And does this feel good? If it doesn't, please tell me. And she said, and so now I, I would never thought in a million years that I would be happily trying to do that. But in a healthy relationship where it's all consensual and loving, you know, yes. you can explore. And I always mm-hmm. say your head needs to feel safe. Your heart needs to feel safe and your body needs to feel safe. Yes. So mentally, emotionally and physically you have to feel safe to mm-hmm. be able to
1: really enjoy sex. Yes, absolutely. I mean it it should be fun bringing you know in new ideas or role play but under this umbrella, this foundation of respect, safety, this balance of give and take with the goal of connection ultimately yeah. for the narcissist they lack capacity to create that connection in relationships emotionally in any way and it plays out in the bedroom too they they lack capacity you know safety is such a huge huge topic because how do you know that you don't feel safe in the relationship I hear a lot of times when people are in the narcissistic relationships, like, you know, why do you love this person? How do you know that? Well, it's just amazing. It's, you know, so powerful. And it, it just, I don't know, we're so connected. And, you know, it's like everything is just like vague, but then it's like, okay, once you're in a healthy relationship, there is more clarity and you can identify clearly why it's safe and why you Really feel connected. It's like that is such a good point. There's there's respect. You feel safe in the relationship. If you want to experiment with something kinky. I love that. I think that that is that's
0: a really powerful tool. Whatever's going on in the relationship, or if it, you know it's sexual abuse, like you said, you know they've been told you're the problem, and so when you're starting to question that and go, wait, maybe this is abuse. Maybe I'm not a loser, dirty, um, a prude, a- asexual, um, you know, whatever. It, it's a really good thing to ask yourself. I think that's great. Yeah. And I want to touch on one other topic before we go. And there's so much shame around this, but I know it's something that happens. And it is when, say, a woman who's been abused cheats in the marriage and I want to
1: talk yeah. about what that's about. Thanks for bringing that up. It's important to keep in mind that in relationships like this and I think all of your listeners would you know agree when you're in relationships like this, you end up doing things that really are not you. It's because you know you're in this relationship and it's almost like you're responding based on your environment. And so, for example, I have um, a close friend who was, she's out of this relationship, thank God. She became so angry because, you know, he was just like on drugs and cheating and all this sort of thing. My friend is the most like very spiritual and the I've never seen her even raise her voice ever. I mean, she's just calm, cool, and collected always. Wow. And she became so enraged that she took an iPad, his iPad, and she threw it down the stairs at him. And of course it like shattered and she just started shaking after that. And she was just, I mean, it was like a different person. It was truly a different person. And and she tried throwing it at him. But it's like, when you look at this, it's like, this is not her. In any other environment, she would never act like that. She would never respond in that way. So for victims... They are in these dynamics, and they they're reacting and they're responding out of fear, out of terror, out of rage, out of um, you know anxiety, out of frustration because of all of this abuse and this environment. And if you've been with them for a long time and have children, it's complicated. So going back to cheating, I just want to offer you know some words that if women do reach the point in a marriage like this where they cheat, that does not make you a bad person. There's a difference between if this is a pattern versus you're responding based on an environment that is incredibly empty. You're scared. You feel alone. You don't have the connection. There's no love. And so being in a marriage for a really long time under these dynamics, it it just makes you feel hollow inside mixed with fear self-blame confusion anxiety especially if you're you know still having sex with him under these conditions of like anger confusion you know shame self-doubt blame so i think you know part of healing because there's so much blame self-doubt humiliation of like wow i'm a cheater i'm a terrible person i am not loyal it's a big stigma like cheater well, when you peel it away, again, going back to the intent, the motive, why did you do it? Were yeah. you just so desperately looking for any connection because you were not getting it? Like, I understand that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. You know, and part of the healing is really forgiving yourself, acceptance, radical acceptance. Dr. Romney talks about that, how there can be multiple truths. Yes, I cheated. I was unfaithful in my marriage and I'm not a bad person. I'm- so many women are ridden for such a long time of blame, you know, humiliation. They don't want to talk about it. Who? What woman wants to go out there and be like, hey, I cheated during my marriage. I mean, it's humiliating. It's embarrassing. There's shame. Right. I get it. And then the fear too, is that all the focus goes
0: on that instead of what's really going on in the marriage and exactly. God forbid right. the abuser finds out they could be cheating every single day of your marriage Mm -hmm. and you get caught once. Oh my gosh. They make that the theme for the rest of your life. If they can, they find that one thing. I mean, they honestly, they, they feel like they stumbled on a gold mine and, and I've just heard that story over and over and, and you're, you're already this really good person
1: that would normally never do this. And then now, Oh my Lord, it, you know, talk about smear campaigns, you know, I mean, this gives them like, really like, you know, juicy gossip, you know, just exaggerate, you know, embellish. I was married to a cheater. She cheated on me the entire marriage, but you're right. People are going to focus on that because there is this stigma, you know, with women, unfortunately, yeah you know, it just is looked down upon worse than men. You know, when, when men do, it's like, oh, well, most husbands do, especially narcissists.
0: Well, it's like, eh, you know, guys, guys need it. I bet they weren't having sex. I mean, that's like the go-to yes, response to a, to a guy cheating. Well, guys need it. They must not be having sex. That statement
1: is saying it's his wife's fault that you cheated It's it. obviously his his wife's fault. <laughs> that's everything is, no matter what you uh, come to them with, it's yeah, always going to be your fault. They're just, you know, very savvy at, you know, shift blaming and placing it on you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, but that you know that's largely a large part of society's response to it. You're right, and so yeah, yeah, the double standard has you know been around for centuries and we'll continue unfortunately for at least a while longer. <laughs> um Dr. Justine Weber, thank you for coming on to talk about this very sensitive subject that is not discussed and we need to talk about it more and so I really appreciate it. You know, it's it's a it's a hard conversation to have. I hope women are finding validation from listening to this and you know can find some sort of support if they don't have it now again the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 800-656 Hope. Um, and you guys can also find Dr. Justin Weber on Instagram at Dr. Justine Weber altogether, J-U-S-T-I-N-E-W-E-B-E-R. And then you're also on TikTok. I love your TikToks.
1: Those are all really great. But I, I just really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I agree. I I, I feel very um I was excited for this podcast because it's so meaningful and really deserves a conversation. So I really hope that women get out there and connect, join some type of a group, just something, start talking. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Thank you again. And you and I will talk soon. Okay. Sounds good.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.